Welcome to Credentialist Podcast, your HR healthcare kit. Well, hello, everyone. Very excited today to be joined by Mario Travin. Um, she's a specialist learning solutions architect at Guidehouse and has had a very interesting career working for a number of organizations, including federal organizations, uh, is an award winner for the work that she's done. And someone I think that our audience is really going to be interested in, in hearing from. Amara, if it's all right, I'd love for you to just quickly tell us about how you got here and a little bit about your your career. Sure, absolutely, Kit. It's great to be with you. My career has been varied. I've worked in both private and public sector. I've worked in government and uh, both in Canada and the U.S. because I'm a dual citizen of Canada and the U.S. And also uh, a lot in the tech sector, working for companies like HP and Microsoft and Amazon and various people like that, but also government agencies, State Department. Uh, NIAID is a recent situation that I was in working with Dr. Uh, Fauci and uh, his organization, yes. It it was sort of like a, a perfect storm, really, that when I moved to uh, start working with Guidehouse in the Washington, D.C. area, it just so happened that it coincided with COVID-19. Wow. So, uh, so, and my husband uh, works in a company that does medical supplies. So we, you know, we couldn't have been more perfect for that situation. So, yeah, and and doing everything from you know, basic onboarding to AI, strategy, LMS, and the gamut. Yeah. I mean, good grief. You really worked at quite an array of different organizations from sort of, yeah, local to Amazon to national government countries. So yep. what, have you, what have you seen to be the commonalities about when, when things go well, when people are thinking about bringing on workforce and, and getting them ready to work uh, efficiently? I was, you know, it's a great question. I've done specific onboarding preparation and uh, design, Alex, and design for both Microsoft and also for Guidehouse. I was the leader of the onboarding team for our global organization. It was called a heartbeat team. So I was leading that for a while. And, and what I found most often is, especially in large global organizations, is that information gets siloed, yeah. right? So you'll have something that's working really well in this team and something that's working really well in this team. And yet there's really not enough communication that's going on to be able to bring everyone up to a metric of, you know, successful onboarding. So that that's one thing I've certainly found. And I, and I would have to say that's true across the board for every organization that I have been in. The difficulty is bringing people into the organization in such a way, making sure they meet the baseline skills and then helping them to have an upskilling strategy from there so that mm -hmm. they don't just stop and, and say, okay, well, I'll wait until the every, the organization tells me now what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Right. I see. So giving people a framework that they can be proactive in if they want to improve their careers or sort of move Absolutely. Uh, but not waiting to kind of be pushed by, by that employee. It sounds like you think that's important. Well, you know, one of the things that we've found during the great resignation is that people are saying, do I have mobility? Do I have the faith in this organization to take me to the next level? And one of the things that really impacts that is your own level of interest and motivation. Right. So it's organizations find themselves between a rock and a hard place. Mm. How do I 
prepare enough really personally curated learning paths, right? Because this is what you're hearing now is that people want something that's a career path that are very specialized to them. They want to be able yeah. to choose that. Certainly in the LMS work that I'm doing, that kind of personal curation is important, that kind of competency and role and their ability to not only move just one way, but they want to have more like a lattice structure in their competency development. So giving them not only the tools, but encouraging them and make sure, making sure that they're motivated themselves to make it to the next level is, is one of the key elements. It's not just content. If you yeah. think of onboarding content as we've given them the content and we're good, right? <laughs> it's so much more than that. I'd love to hear your take on the great resignation. I think it's obviously been a worldwide phenomenon and it's sort of affected different industries more than others. Uh, healthcare has obviously been greatly affected, which is probably no surprise given you know the conditions people have been working under and the pressure of the last couple of years. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. What, what we're seeing just for kind of context is... Yeah. It's getting harder and harder for health providers, particularly those that have ambitions to grow or to increase the services that they provide to find and to retain healthcare workers. And so there seems to be increasing competition at all levels, both sort of specialist clinical, but also even sort of clerical to get those people and to get them through often quite an arduous pre-employment check or onboarding process. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's quite a a task, right? Yeah. It's quite a task. And the Great Resignation showed us that people, as I was saying before, had that desire uh, to have a personalized career path for themselves, but also from an organizational standpoint. Now, recognize that Guidehouse is the second largest consulting service company in the healthcare industry. So we span the globe yeah. in both private and public healthcare, both commercial right? And federal. Yeah. So we see this from a very broad perspective. But mm. the hard part about recruiting is, in my experience, is, as you suggest, how do I recruit somebody with that high of a level of skill set? Mm. Especially when, you know, you know that their options are, you know, they've got more options than just what we are offering them. Yeah. So they are, they're seeing it from a very obvious place for them. What is going to make, what is going to be their best move? What is going to be their best career? Well, yeah. Should they stay? So recruiting has to, from the, be from the very beginning, you have to first really identify those skill sets very effectively and then take a look at those individual people, personas, if you will, and say, what is going to engage these people from day one keep them engaged throughout the process of learning onboarding, then throughout career development. Yeah. And when I see a lot of people leaving a certain organization, then I know it is because that whole process has not really been carefully considered. Mm. Yeah, it's really a good sign, is it? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, teams in the medical space, I just did a, a paper and presentation for the Science of Teen Science conference. And in that particular situation, I talked about how teams of scientists, especially in the healthcare industry, mm -hmm. how different those types of teams are to keep them together to keep them focused on what they need to do to keep people from, you know, disengaging in global and distributed 
situations. So those people have specific needs. Yeah. And can't see them the same as you would, let's say, an administrative worker Mm -hmm. that is in, you know, in a government position because they are very, very different. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, what we're seeing is now as a, a clinician, suddenly the balance of power has has changed quite dramatically. Indeed. And, you know, perhaps there was balance that needed to be addressed to, to an extent, but uh, particularly in, in sort of nursing, what we're seeing is that people that have been happily employed as travel nurses during the COVID period and, and paid substantially more than they were by their full-time employers are now saying, even setting aside the wage difference that I can expect, I actually quite like flexibility. I quite like being able to choose a bit more when and where I work. And I don't necessarily want to go back to working a full-time or often, you know, more than full-time shift pattern. Mm -hmm. Is that something you've experienced? That kind of Absolutely. I think companies are very reticent to just say, okay, everybody back to work full-time at a specific location. I think the world has moved on and the new normal is, what is that saying? No man ever steps in the same river twice because the man is different and so is the river. And that is what I really think is true. As I tried to create hybrid, what I call hybrid flex environments post-COVID, because I'm understanding that people are now and they're going to remain both in, you know, possibly in at a location learning at the same time, they're going to be people all over the world learning through, you know, through technology. So how can I create these environments? Because I do not think it's ever going to go back to the same way that it was before. That, like that to, I'm really confident. No, I, I agree with you. And I think it's sort of one of those genies that you can't let, you know, can't, can't get back in the lamp. Is that? No, it's hard to give people freedom and then take it away. I mean, well, ask, ask any political system. Mm-hmm. It's hard to give people that freedom and then take it away. Yeah, quite quite right. I'd love to hear more about this hybrid flex model that you you've described. Uh, I think I have mm-hmm. sort of an idea of what that sounds like, but um, for our audience, I'd love it if you could just quickly break that down. Sure. A hybrid model is one where we're taking a look at the factors that impact the person who is in the training location, at the training location, and then the factors that impact people that are in distributed locations. And what yeah. always blows my mind about this when I think about it is every single person is in a different technology environment, yeah. right? <laughs> and if you, it's like putting a grain of sand on the chessboard and you get to infinity really quick. Mm-hmm. If you really think about all of the differences involved in that technology, you have to mitigate possible disturbances. You have to look for equity. Also want to add things like in my model, I add the idea of diversity, inclusion, and uh, cognitive diversity, which mm-hmm. really benefits especially uh, science teams or health teams, people mm. who have, you know, people that are apprenticing up to mm. a certain level of competency and then people who are really, really competent. So making that a bit more of an equity situation there. Mm-hmm. It, so I think about the Chinese character for danger and opportunity. There's a lot of danger in that situation mm-hmm. that people are going to feel completely left out totally unengaged. And what have we, what have we been saying about onboarding? Mm-hmm. So if you do your onboarding totally uh, online and you have no idea whether those people are really engaged or not, mm-hmm. then you've just spent a lot of money. And we know how much money it is to spend to train someone, bring them for, through their first year and have them leave. It's, mm-hmm. it's just phenomenally expensive. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I would say that is true. And and also the flex part of the hybrid flex means that you give people choice. Yeah. Again, uh, you, you notice I'm stressing the idea of personal choice here because personal choice for me leads to engagement. Mm. So I'm going to say I can access this in a certain way at a certain time. This probably means a mixture of synchronous and asynchronous content. Mm-hmm. So I can access resources at a later time. I can be at a hybrid event or I can access a recording of a hybrid event. So that's that's really what gives it that uh, flexibility. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, one of the things that we are really interested in is we think you should automate the things that can be automated, but no more to to an extent. And And what we see is sort of very important is people maintaining the human touch and feeling that they're developing a relationship with someone or or developing trust with someone if they're considering yeah. between several employers. And, and often the situation we see as a clinician, let, let's say we'll send out five CVs and be considering five roles and entertaining five conversations. And then we'll have, for whatever reason, a good feeling about one. Often it's for reasons that you've identified you know, because they'll provide the flexibility because they rec- right. recognize what the individual wants in terms of their particular growth but often it's it's very human you know it's oh i spoke to sandra and she was really nice I right confidence that she wouldn't waste my time and I, i'd love to kind of hear what you think about sort of where the personal touch is really important and what needs to be automated in this climate uh, i had a friend who whose business motto was high tech high touch and i always thought that was a, a good way of thinking about it i'm definitely a person who understands that technology is here to say people learn through it. It's like a prosthetic. I've always said that, that you're not getting away from it at, at any uh, time now. It's only becoming more and more uh, prevalent and Im- embedded in the workflow. So technology, very important to be able to partner with it, I would say, as an individual and also as for a company strategy. But as far as the difference between kind of an instinctual Mm. experience of someone that is such if you think about what is going on for your brain it is such a high level of Mm. pattern matching experience you know people that you've met before there's so much going on there we could unpack it all day but i would also say you're looking at ai applications Mm. in recruitment Mm. that are working to take a look at those types of uh, factors, uh, sentiment analysis and language and uh, engagement metrics. So you're going to see some of that. It already has happened. I was agree with the the quote that the future is uh, it's already here. It just isn't evenly distributed. Right. So you have right. So you have tons of people in the C-suite making those decisions about. Oh, I see the impact that this could have. Yeah, But do I think you should lose the personal touch at any time? No. Mm. I am a humanist who believes that people should collaborate with technology. Mm. That's, that's really, if you put, you know, to my motto on, a, on, on, <laughs> on one, one little piece of paper, on yeah. a, <laughs> that's what it would be. That's I'm a humanist who really point. believes that people should collaborate with technology because there are things that technology can do that mm. will enable us to be more effective. And there's things that we can do that will really feed 
the capabilities of that technology. This is perhaps an unfair question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. But sure, um, go ahead. The sort of organizations that are resource constrained, which is probably most, you know, that are providing healthcare to some yeah. level. If you were sort of, you know, giving advice in a lift or in a hotel lobby and someone just said, okay. <laughs> we, we're starting from scratch, if you like, we really want to get this right. We want to make sure we can bring on good people, that they're engaged in the process. And with it's Greenfield, we don't have unlimited budget, but like, what, what would you say are the most important couple of things, three things to get right? And what should we avoid? Um, what, what springs to mind? Well, first of all, you, you really have to understand the competencies that you're hiring for, right? Yeah. So those have to be really clearly researched and understood. So you have yeah. to understand who's doing well in this role, who is not doing as well in this role. Can I create sort of like an expert model, which I think is, is a wonderful thing to do, mm-hmm. um, making sure that the kinds of qualities, K, S, A, all of those pieces are in there. And I know who I'm hiring for. I know the type of person I'm hiring for. And then I would also say know your own culture. Because if you are a culture that gets up to speed quickly, that requires people to be very autonomous Mm -hmm. and asks them for a lot of their own personal motivation, know that. If you are not, Mm -hmm. then know that too. So I would say that's that's the second thing. And then the third thing I would say, and this is what I tell everyone, please don't think that everything is the content. Because I have seen people create entire 2,500 PowerPoint slide decks. Ouch. Indeed. And it was over two weeks. <laughs> and it was just, this was a large corporation. And I won't tell you which one. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that is nuts, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but their argument was, it's got everything. It's got all the content. Like yeah. the content isn't going to change the very next day. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. So your strategy for content delivery, you're understanding that people do not learn by you, you know, doing this huge info dump. And then what I always call delusions of competence, the organization has delusions of competence. Like we trained you, go. (laughs) Didn't you get it? And and I think that especially for onboarded employees, it makes them feel very uh, disheartened. Yeah. Especially if it's all formal. I've given you the 2,500 <laughs> right. PowerPoint or Canva or whatever it is now, right? Even yeah. micro lessons, you can, you can do the same thing wrong with a lot of new technologies, <laughs> but, which is fun. But if you understand that the human brain takes in seven and a half chunks of information, any 40 minute learning session, and that's yeah. it. Wow. Right. That's it. Einstein, you, me, you know, anybody. Mm. that is really the truth of learning. And there, you know, there were some great books written a while ago calling, you know, telling eight training and that kind of thing. So thinking about those pieces of what is it I can give people in the session that will engage them, that Mm. will allow them to collaborate, that Mm. will make an impression emotionally Mm. on them, intellectually on them. And then what things do I not have the crazy expectation that they're going to remember all 500 of these, you know, rules that are uh, rules and requirements? What if I give that to them later and make it easy for them to find it? It, It's funny. It's sort of reminiscent of medical school training where you sort of go through progressively year on year learning ever more kind of complex biology or biological systems like immunology or, or things like that. Right. And then in the final year, as you kind of begin your apprenticeship, let's say, so you start working more on the wards and 
you start learning all of the very basic things that you don't know how to do, like, you know, take blood from someone and that you have to just get wrong 50 times or <laughs> yes. start, start getting it right. And you go from this sort of feeling of supposed confidence because you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm passing my exams. I'm learning all of this, like right. the biology. Right. And you find a patient that's fallen out of bed and you're like, oh, there's a procedure for this, but I don't know what it is. And I don't know where to find it and, and things like that. And you realize that sort of it's actually the very basics that most people need to do when they first begin in their roles. And often it isn't a problem of knowledge. It's a problem of sort of having the confidence, ask team members for help understanding sort of what are the, the key things we need to escalate? What are the things that can never happen? Right. Like mistakes that must never be made. Right, uh, right. It, what's the you know, yeah. uh, oh, I, I was going to say it reminds me of the 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 old saw that uh, would you rather fly with somebody who got a 97% on their, their flight test or mm-hmm. with somebody who's flown 20 times and got a yeah. 89? Yeah. And I, I'm getting in the plane with the person who's flown it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're seeing that happening now. That example perfectly done in in immersive environments yeah. where we get to make mistakes and try yeah. it out, you know, kind of the kinesthetic aspect of that. Yeah. People have more opportunities. But, you know, you, that's why I said before, if you just give them the formal learning, which is mm-hmm. here's everything you need to know. And, and now you pass the test at 90 percent or you understand that there are also informal ways that people do strategize to do certain things well yeah and if you've if you've started out with some type of expert modeling where you've really taken a look at who's doing things well there are some surprising things that happen that you learn about that you Mm. didn't know were important yeah okay well thank you mara i want to be respectful of your time that was sure absolutely so i've been speaking to mara travin today specialist learning solutions architect at guidehouse um winner of the niaid 2020 Merit Award. Thank you very much for, for talking to us today on the Credential Welcome. Podcast. Fantastic. Um, so brilliant, Mario. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, All right. Thank you. You take care. Okay, Bye-bye. you too. Bye-bye. Search Credentially for your current healthcare staffing insights.